0: Every word of God is pure, and all scripture has been given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit for our instruction in righteousness. That portion which forms the basis for our meditation this day is found in Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamus, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Safar text. Dear fellow redeemed, in Christ Jesus, who is the Alpha and Omega in our alphabet, the A and the Z. In Christ Jesus, who is the first and last. In Christ Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. All three of those phrases mean in Christ Jesus, we are complete. In Christ, we have absolutely everything we need. Grace and peace be unto you in that complete Savior, Jesus. So what's your favorite picture of Jesus? Perhaps you're a little bit like I am. I can't pick one particular picture of Jesus that's my favorite. I have an artist that's my favorite, and I like a variety of the pictures of Jesus that he's done, but I can't quite narrow it down to one picture of Jesus. But I would suppose if we went around the uh, congregation this morning and asked for the favorite picture of Jesus, it would not be the one that you see on your bulletin cover this morning. It would not be this one here. As I was preparing the bulletin, one of the members said to me, Pastor, are you really going to put that on the cover of the bulletin? That's going to scare children. That's not going to be very comforting to them. And it is a rather frightening picture. When you look at the majesty of Jesus. The Son of God, it is absolutely terrifying. We sang about it just a moment ago in the hymn, In Beauty Glorified, no angel in the sky can fully bear that sight, but downward bends his wondering eye, that mystery is so bright. If the angels cannot bear to look fully upon the majesty of the Son of God, how are we going to fare? Let's take a look at John in our text, verse 9. I, John, both your brother and companion, in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. This sets for us the setting for John here. And we're reminded of John's history. He was one that was very faithful in delivering the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And because of that, he suffered tribulation. Because Because of that, He was exiled and put on this island. This island was about the size of the city of Eau Claire. There he was exiled. Now, at this point in time, we think John is an older man. And uh, at this point in time, the rest of the apostles, as far as we know, are probably all dead. He's the last of the 12. And here he is, able to finish off the end of his life in peace and quiet? Not really. Able to finish off his the rest of his life in exile and isolation because he took a stand with the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. He was one that was filled with courage and boldness to say the least. We read on in verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Certainly the habit of this child of God to go to God's house, to read God's word, to hear God's word on the Lord's day. And then he has this experience from the voice saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia. You can read those letters that come in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation to those seven churches. When John heard the voice, we, we read verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters." He had in his right hand seven stars, out of his mouth was a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in his strength. There's what John saw. And now listen to what happened. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Now put this into context. This is John, who had been with Jesus for three years of his public ministry. This is John, who had been there for many of the miracles and a lot of the parables. This is John, who had been with the Savior at the Mount of Transfiguration and also was in the Garden of Gethsemane to be a witness to that suffering and agony. This is John, who followed along at a distance and went to the different trials. This is John, who found himself at the cross on Calvary. This is the John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is John, to whom Jesus entrusted the care of his mother. This is the John that now, upon seeing this, falls down as if he were dead, fainting away. If this is what happens with John, how would we fare in seeing this majesty of the Savior? The majesty of Jesus, the Son of God, is absolutely, absolutely terrifying until... May the Spirit bless our study of the Word He's recorded. The majesty of Jesus is absolutely terrifying until we hear that old familiar voice of the Good Shepherd, offering hope and life. We read on after, in verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, "Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last." you see the love of the Savior coming and giving John that physical touch saying it's okay I'm the first and the last I'm that Savior and you don't have to be afraid I was biking <clears throat> this past week went around a neighbor's house they were out working in the yard and it was kind of near, near dark and they couldn't quite see who I was although I knew who they were and they said the customary uh, good evening and I said to them back good evening hello and they said oh pastor they couldn't recognize me by my physical appearance but they did recognize me by my voice a testimony to their faithful tenants here at church that they could spot or hear that voice and know to whom it belonged even in the darkness of the evening so John could do that with Jesus because John had been with Jesus so he could recognize the tone of the voice of Jesus but how can you and I recognize the tone of Jesus? We can't. But what, is t- what touched the ears of John is the same thing that touches our ears. It's not the tone of the Savior's voice, it's the content of the Savior's voice. And here comes the content, verse 18 I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Here's the content. That John recognizes. Yes, this is the Savior that I know. He was alive and recalling to mind all that went into the life of Jesus, the birth in Bethlehem, his continuing and growing in years, his aging, then taking up the public ministry and living a perfect life without sin in word or deed, and then going to the cross on Calvary. Behold, I, I am he who was alive, who lives, and I was dead, yes what happened on Good Friday and why that happened and now behold this Jesus is alive forevermore that's the content that John says I know that voice I know that person that's Jesus to which Jesus applies a hearty amen this living dying and being alive forevermore is sure and it is certain and I have the keys of Hades and of death Hades refers to a pit, and it can be the six-foot pit that we sometimes call the grave, or it can be the eternal pit that we call hell. Here I take it to be the reference to hell. But Jesus holds the keys to hell. He holds the keys to death. And those two things that cause us the greatest amount of fear in life, our Savior, our brother, he holds the keys to those things. What can death do to us? if Jesus is holding the key? What can hell do us? Do to us if Jesus is holding the key? And for John then, this is what brings to him hope and life. And while the majesty of Jesus is absolutely terrifying, it only is terrifying until we hear him speak to us. Until we hear his voice. And then it's the voice, that familiar voice of the Good Shepherd saying, I gave my life for the sheep. My sheep belong to me, and no one's going to be able to take them out of my hand. And so that voice of the Good Shepherd is the one that we've learned to listen to. I know, my sheep know my voice, and they follow me. That's the shepherd that we know. And whenever that word of God goes out, that's the voice of the Good Shepherd calling. Remember when Jesus sent out his disciples on that missionary journey, and he gave them this particular accompanying verse, He who hears you is actually hearing me. And he who despises you, who doesn't want to listen to you, is actually despising me. And he who despises me despises him who sent me. And so it is to this day that the Savior sends out his word. And it doesn't make any difference which of the three pastors and the tone of their voice is filling the pulpit. It's the content that's the voice of your Good Shepherd. It's the voice of the Good Shepherd in the classrooms, in the open devotions of our school, It's the voice of the Good Shepherd in our Sunday School and Vacation Bible School. It's the voice of the Good Shepherd on the campus of Emmanuel. When professors and teachers bring the Word of God in class or in devotion. That's the voice of the Good Shepherd that we've learned to listen to. And when you pick up your Bible and you read it, you can hear the voice of the Good Shepherd, the content of what he says to you. And you can recognize and say, I know that voice. That belongs to Jesus. That's my Savior. I know what he's done for me. And no longer then is that majesty of the Son of God absolutely terrifying. It's something we take delight in. Uh, This text puts a lot of emphasis on the Word of God. You see it in the three pictures used to this the picture language to describe Jesus. And you're reminded of how the book of Revelation opens. It tells us frankly in the opening verses that it's going to tell, give us pictures signifying things. And here you've got pictures signifying things. You've got in verse 15, this, the voice, excuse me, the voice, this voice as a sound of many waters. I was canoeing with a friend of mine and we were on a river that had a very serious waterfall. In fact, some canoeists in years past had gone over the waterfall and, and drowned. And so we were canoeing safely, having a map with us, and it told us we had to scout. As we were coming around and going down the river, we could hear the roar of the falls. And not wanting to be get too close, we pulled over extra early, and we had to hike to get to the edge of the falls. And when we got to the edge of that falls, we could not talk to each other. The roar was so great. This is the voice of the shepherd. His, roar, the voice, his voice roars through the world. You can go to chapter 12 of the book of Revelation and you're going to bump into another person using water. and It's going to be the devil, that serpent of old. And there in that section you talked about how he sends out a flood. It, it, the word used is used as river. He sends out a river of lies trying to undermine the gospel. And opposed to the river that the devil is sending out, Jesus has the voice of many waters. The roar of our Savior is greater than the lies of Satan. Verse 16, the opening phrase, he had in his right hand seven stars. Again, a reference to sending out the word of God. As you read on these seven stars, uh, the messengers, we would take them to be the pastors, the teachers of the word and the Savior has these seven stars in his hand, and he scatters them to these seven different cities. It's the same Jesus. It's the same Jesus with the same right hand, with stars in his hand, that's casting the word of God out today. When you read in the bulletin of calls being accepted by teachers or pastors, that's the Savior hurling stars to this city or that city. When you see coming up in a few weeks the graduation out of the Emmanuel, and you see pastors and teachers graduating, that's Jesus taking His right hand and throwing out the stars, of, of sending out the word of God. When you see the care facilities in the bulletin, and you see our members of our congregation filling those places, that's Jesus with the stars in His right hand throwing the word of God out to those people, go so those, <coughs> sending to those care facilities the message of. Here's the voice of the one who has conquered sin and has conquered death. And finally, a third reference to the Word of God in verse 16, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. A picture language certainly for the Word of God, a familiar term picture in the the New Testament. The sharp two-edged sword God's word, both having law and gospel, God's word being able to pierce right through the exterior of us human beings and get right to the heart of the matter, that powerful word of God. And so you see in this first section of our text that the absolute, that the majesty of Jesus is absolutely terrifying until we hear the voice, the familiar voice of the good shepherd bringing to us hope and life. But that terrifying picture of Jesus also disappears when we, put the right, when we have the right viewpoint. The viewpoint of the cross. Let's go back and take a look at the description of Jesus. His head and hair white, and now trying to emphasize how white as white as wool, as white as snow. White is a, often a picture for holiness or purity. Jesus is holy. Oh, that doesn't sound so good to me. Jesus is holy, and I'm sinful. How is this going to work out? Well, it works out at the cross. And when you go to the cross, you realize, oh, wait a second, that Jesus is holy has also imparted to me holiness. By his death on the cross, he has taken away my sinfulness and my impurity and given me his white robe of righteousness, and I stand before God. Just as Jesus stands here, holy. His eyes, flames of fire. It's said that years ago, they had a contest going to see who could do a a picture of Jesus. And the artists in general concluded the hardest part of drawing Jesus was drawing his eyes. How do you give Jesus eyes that are filled with compassion and love? That was the hard part for them. So now when you look at the bulletin cover and you see eyes like flames of fire, that seems to be the very opposite of eyes of compassion and love. Flames of fire, it's flames of uh, judgment. He sees everything. And so this we're reminded of how the eyesight of Jesus pierces through. It pierces through the darkness of the night when someone thinks, I can get away with this because no one will see it. Jesus sees it. It pierces through the, our homes when we think, well, I'm in my house by myself and no one will see what I'm about to do. Jesus sees it. When we cover up our sinful heart and think no one knows what's going on in here, Jesus sees it with the flames of fire. And this doesn't sound very good at all until you realize, oh, he's taking care of that, all those sins at the cross on Calvary and now uses that piercing eyesight to know us better than we know ourselves. To help us, to guide us, because he knows the future, he uses that eyesight to bless us. His feet red hot as if refined in brass, and you can just see massive boots just glowing and stepping around on the earth and bringing with it judgment. That doesn't sound so good. Bringing judgment, ruling the world, when there's no place to hide from this particular boot stomping. And yet it is good news when you view it through the cross because the judgment is declared at the cross and with the death of Jesus God has pounded the gavel and said the whole world is not guilty. And now we don't have to fear the judgment of the of this Savior. The judgment of this Savior is very good news. We've been rescued from our past. His face shining like the full sun. Like the full sun. Not one sun on a cloudy day, but on a bright sunny day. So bright you can't even look at the face of Jesus. And then his, his chest girded about with that golden band. A couple of pictures to describe the majesty of Jesus. The glory of Jesus. And we would say that's pretty fearful and intimidating. Except, viewed through the cross, that's my Savior. That's in glory. That's my Savior and my brother who is so majestic. And it brings to us joy and comfort. And So when you, look at the, when you look at the majesty of Jesus to the cross, you're no longer terrified, but you delight in it. In the putting together the bulletin cover, I thought I would try to go ahead and picture those two things about the Savior. You'll see in this particular panel, I actually call it this uh, side over here, the side of pre-Easter, where we have the picture, the comforting picture of Jesus as the Good Shepherd. And you see in that particular picture, Jesus carrying lambs. Lambs are very important to the Savior, the children. You see Jesus uh, guiding the sheep, even a black sheep, they're all included. You see the Savior leading them safely and carefully. A very comforting picture. But that's Jesus as he's getting ready to go to the cross. The Savior we have now is the victorious Savior, the one who has defeated death and hell and Satan. And so that picture is the one coming from the book of Revelation and is on the other side of the bulletin. That picture too is very comforting. We see in that particular picture the Savior in his majesty. We see him holding The stars, ready to send them out for the preaching of the gospel. We see in his hand the key to hell and the key to death. They can hold no longer any terror for us. We see the attributes of the Savior, his omniscience, his holiness, his justice. We see all of that working for our good to comfort us. And so uh, first, this might seem a terrifying picture to our children. It should be a picture of great comfort to our children. As they go through through an earthly pilgrimage filled with danger, filled with lies, filled with a lot of false doctrine, as they go through that particular journey, they have this Jesus in all of his majesty and glory by their side all the time to bring them comfort. I put this particular with a couple passages at the bottom of each picture so you might take that home and put it on the refrigerator and use it to teach your children about the victorious and risen Savior in his full majesty and glory. Our text reminds us what would once have been a very terrifying image is now a very comforting image. The word of Jesus says, I love you. The work of Jesus says, I love you. Amen. And the peace of God, which does indeed pass all understanding, shall keep our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus.